excited for this panel. It's the last and final panel on our second day of the Red Beer Ventures Summit. So stoked to have you guys. I think it's a really interesting topic and excited to end on innovations that make climate cool. So I'll start off. I think you guys are both building very different companies. And I say jump into climate as a whole and obviously what you two are building. But I'll start with you, Mike, if you want to go ahead and uh, give a little bio about yourself and what CSAS is. Sure. Uh, thanks, Alana. Yeah, uh, stoked to be on here and excited to, you know, hopefully we'll add some energy and close out the day strong. Um, my bio, uh, I'm one of the co-founders and the CEO at CSATS or C-Satellites, the full name. Uh, we make autonomous surface vehicles. They're about 10 feet long, uh, solar-powered electric boats. And basically, uh, like some other drones that people or listeners are probably familiar with, um, these basically go and, and can be controlled by a person or can just go and drive themselves out. So similar to like how kind of aerial drones have really changed things and allowed people to go and kind of like democratize data collection. Um, these ocean drones that can go out for a really long period of time can go and make the cost of going and collecting ocean data or going and like doing ocean measurements like radically cheaper. Um, so uh yeah, I'm going to add a whole bunch more on that. But Yeah, I guess before I throw it over to Alan, um, what are the main use cases that CSATS has and why is it important? Yeah, um, so our boats are like payload agnostic. You can swap in different sensors. And so we actually serve like a handful of different customer bases um, from like ocean science, which is directly, I think, what I'll talk most about here in the climate tech space. But I should also say that they also serve like they do a commercial surveys and they also do some defense tech or like defense space work. Um, so the payloads are a little bit different across the three, but in the ocean science space, um, mostly what we've been really involved in is like doing things like uh, monitoring for like harmful algae blooms or going and monitoring um, like direct ocean change. It's like, okay, what's happening in the top 10 feet of the ocean um, during periods of like high change. So if there's like rainfall or, uh, like some of our first missions were at the Scripps Institute of Oceanography, and they've got these deep canyons um, in the Pacific, and there's a lot of upwelling and change. So we would go out and actually collect water samples a couple miles out and then bring them back to the lab so that scientists could go and like run their studies and see what was happening like uh, in the upper surface of the ocean. In the like Pacific Northwest, it's uh, the University of Washington with the NOAA project are basically using them to predict like toxins in, in shellfish. So like, you know, shellfish season will open or close based on these like harmful algae blooms that happen. And so our boats will go out and measure uh, the like content of the water and help them make predictions uh, to tell people whether or not the shellfish is safe to eat. Wow, that's awesome. And Alan, welcome. I would love to throw it over to you uh, if you want to give a bio and discuss about California culture. And whenever we have a call, you always make me so hungry, I must say, and your background too. But yeah, excited to chat more. Yeah, uh, thanks, Alana. Uh, I'm Alan. I am CEO and co-founder of California Cultured, where we are using a new type of technology called cellular agriculture to mass produce the world's most favorite foods, starting with chocolate and coffee. Um, I've been working in different types of food technology for the last 20 years. I've built, uh, uh, been part of the first team working on cell-cultured meat uh, 20 years ago when the only ones that wanted to fund us was NASA. From there, I worked on uh, interesting new ingredients in the sweetener industry. I previously started a company that brought on a new class of sweeteners that are healthier, better tasting, uh, and what we think can 
can change the world. And now I am building California Cultured, which is looking to solve the really big issues of chocolate and coffee are going extinct. Prices are going through the roof. Uh, the amount of chocolate that you have in your favorite products are shrinking every single year. And we've developed a platform that could scale this up uh, for the first time in the mainland US. And we could finally actually grow uh, the things we love close to where we live instead of necessarily relying on a broken and, and really uh, offer supply chain that relies on deforestation, child slavery, and then delivers um, bad products. So we're trying to really change the game of how today's consumers and, and our, the next generation of consumers are going to consume delicious, better for you and affordable chocolates and coffees. Yeah, so I guess I'm just gonna go off of that because I think the first question, especially for a lot of the listeners today, they're wondering, okay, what about the cost? Because obviously people expect to pay a dollar to $3 for a bar of chocolate. I don't even know now with inflation, the average price, but how does it compare your pricing given it's plant-based versus one from the normal cacao bean? Well, right off the bat, we're still a relatively small company and we're still producing in uh, small to mid-sized volumes. So the price for our production is, is still a little premium this year. So we basically decided to launch some really innovative cocoa ingredients, uh, specifically some uh, an ingredient called a cocoa flavanol that has been getting a lot of hype over the last two years, uh, specifically many scientists have shown it can really uh, decrease the impact of uh, heart disease, AFib, a stroke, and other cardiac issues. And we're going to be working with uh, a large uh, uh, multinational company called Meji Chocolate, which is known for making Hello Panda snacks. Uh, actually, just last night in uh, the Japanese newspaper Nikkei, we announced our partnership with Meji. So we're very excited about that. So we're gonna be launching our first products this year with them uh, at market prices. And next year we're gonna be launching some really innovative chocolates uh, that are going, going to be much closer to consumer uh, prices. But we see uh, uh, about 2026 to 2027, we're going to be able to be priced competitively with traditional chocolate. And we have some really interesting types of, for instance, we have a chocolate that uh, has zero lead and cadmium, which is one of the first uh, chocolates that we're going to be delivering, as well as chocolates with enhanced properties, such as zero caffeine or even a lot more caffeine for those that, that want either a jolt of, of, of chocolate caffeinated goodness in the morning or those that want to take it a little bit more easy at night with a, a, a naturally decaffeinated version. And those are going to be in line with more traditional prices um, in about a year and a half to two years from now. Now, given that obviously coffee, chocolate, it's a lot of just consumer-based goods. Are there any government contracts to try to solve this issue as it does solve a lot of kind of other issues at the same time? There, there are. We are right now working with different uh, government organizations in order to supply and build up the natural uh, or the, the built up 
biomanufacturing capabilities of the U.S. There's some big mega trends happening where lots of the supply chain from around the world uh, have been devastated over the last couple of years. And that's just resulted in increasing prices. So the U.S. government, as well as many organizations, are looking to build a more local domestic production of everything from chocolate coffee to materials like rubber and other compounds that are being sourced from all over the world uh, to even fats and, and other compounds that go into our clothes, cosmetics and materials, which are going to become uh, absolutely important as the entire world supply chain is shifting uh, quite rapidly. Yeah. And Mike, I want to ask you the same thing, because how has that been? Have you been looking at government contracts as the main source of revenue? Um, and how does that really work? Because obviously they have a ton of kind of global efforts, especially within the climate sector as a whole. Totally. Um, yeah. And uh, I'll just say, Alan, I'm glad that in the like enhanced features of the chocolate, you've got uh, the caffeine as well as the decaf. You led with the, the decaf and I was like, oh, that's that's not necessarily good. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, it, it's, for kids, it might be a little a, a, a little bit more of a, a better thing. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I think plenty of plenty of people will be excited by by the decaf and, and uh, I'll, I'll be in the caffeinated group for sure. Me too. Uh, <laughs> um. Uh, to your question, uh, Milana, yeah, uh, for us, it actually largely is, I'd say we're, we're largely B2B, um, like business to business and uh, like often that's business to government. Um, for a lot of the programs, like in, in ocean science, one of the interesting things with the ocean industry is the capital expenses are so high for like, for traditional ocean science. Um, you're talking about like million dollar ships, um, sometimes like many million dollar ships, and operating costs that are often like 50 to hundred grand a day is, is like very common. Like those aren't like made up prices. Like you can basically like talk to research institutes and, and they'll be like, oh yeah, those are, those are the prices that we deal with um, for like for getting our ships and our research teams out to sea. So because of those really high costs, it often is um, government funded. So like even like our research institute customers or um, yeah, there, there just basically is a lot of government funding often. Um, yeah. That, that lends to like very government sales cycles. So you've got very spaced out, very like, you know, uh, calendar fiscal year, uh, sort of like scheduled budgeting, which can be challenging for startups to like who are, are looking for traction and kind of fast win projects. It is really fun to see climate change happening where there's actually startups now that are making, you know, we're seeing more and more things from like aquaculture, um, from sustainable fish farming, from carbon capture companies. Like we see like quotes and kind of like, early project spin up. And that's fun because that's that tends to be much more like pure commercial. It's like an organization that's totally focused on climate tech um, that's able to operate like on a different budget cycle than kind of like government funding. Yeah. And I want to go in because obviously like climate as a whole is huge. And like you're seeing so many people push to like renewable energy. You're seeing obviously electric vehicles and all of these like increasing global commitments to lower the carbon economy. So I guess from your guys' perspective, like thinking outside of where you guys are currently focused, what is most exciting to you that you think is going to grow within this uh, climate sector? Uh, I'll give, and maybe I'll turn it over to Alan. I actually think that the food so like space is really exciting for climate. Like I think like, like when I see like a, 
like a Beyond Burger, or like an Impossible Whopper or something show up on like a fast food restaurant and like the top couple of things. I'm like, that seemed to me like I'm all about scale and like getting things like to, yeah, to like be as big as they can is kind of really exciting. So, but isn't it known that like Beyond Meat or Impossible actually puts out more of a carbon footprint than that would be of a normal burger? And Alan, you would know this more. So that could be a hot take that's not true. So don't yeah, I might be behind the times. I'm really excited to actually see like, Alan, it sounds like you you know more about this stuff. Is is this, what's the what's the word? Uh, it depends on the location where they're producing the ingredients from and sourcing it from. Uh, some sources are more polluting than others. Uh, obviously, it's about the source of the energy that goes into it, where they're sourcing their their main proteins, like pea proteins or wheat proteins, are are relatively important as well. Uh, but it, it it is it is slightly better in general, but in some areas that they don't have that well built up of a sustainable infrastructure there are some issues that they're they're looking to scale and a lot of these answers to having a lower carbon footprint unfortunately just require such a large scale that it's always um it's always a question of oh at day one you're you're not going to be car you're not going to be uh better for the planet and the question is we are on that path of growth and scalability, can you actually start hitting those important metrics to prove that you're a lot more sustainable and better for the planet? Um, obviously, it's 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 a lot of work to figure that out. We just did our own techno-economic analysis, and there's different levels of that, but we can show that at X, at uh, roughly about X tons of chocolate that we can produce, then we're already going to start going over that uh, that specific uh, uh, a thresh point of where we can actually become positive. And I think that's always that same thing with all technologies, you know, and, and still like for solar power still uh, takes a lot of energy to extract it. But once you have a lot of scale, you have a lot of production, costs are lower, and they're using better energy types, things things tend to uh, look a lot better once you put a pen to paper and do all the calculations. So it's the same similar principle uh, with Beyond Meat and some of these other meat companies. It just requires a certain amount of scale. And what we think like the best way to scale is, is obviously having it taste better and figuring out lower prices and those are going to be the two most important things that many food tech companies or or uh, companies within the industry need to tackle, especially since we've seen the increase in food prices over the past three years has become probably uh, a, a giant political talking point, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And this has led to a lot of political drama. So we think it's incredibly important that these prices come down and more sustainable ingredients enter our, our food supply chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that must be hard to measure too, actually knowing the amount of kind of carbon footprint that you have in the world. Uh, but you mentioned something that I think is really important. And obviously politics plays a huge role in both of your businesses today. So how has it really affected either your day-to-day -day or in the long-term? And how do you guys think about politics when you're thinking about building your companies? 
Yeah, you can go first. Mike. All right. Sorry, I should have called uh, on one of you. <laughs> Alan, you yeah. go ahead. Uh, yeah, well, the first uh, three things, it's we have to deal with geopolitical issues when it comes with even the prices of our products. Uh, like most of the world's chocolate and coffee comes from areas that are pretty uh, unstable politically. There are wars in the area. There's issues with uh, supply chain. Uh, for instance, the, the, the Russia-Ukraine war has devastated fertilizer prices which have put massive pressure on many growers around the world. And then even when it comes to the United States or even the EU, uh, there are parties that basically see uh, uh, trying to push more of a climate change focus like they are in the EU. And they're trying to make rules that saying, oh, your ingredients have to be more sustainable. They have to, they can't be that destructive to the planet. And we're already seeing these rules starting to take place in the EU and in Asia. And I, I bet you they're going to be taking place eventually in the United States, understanding what the carbon footprint of energy or food or solar or cars or clothes or, or everything is. And and that's going to have a significant impact, but it also depends on the administration and the goals and how much capital they put in. Uh, for instance, in the Biden administration has put in uh, uh, quite quite a large amount of funding specifically for local biomanufacturing. And we see, see that as an incredibly important part as the entire global supply chain is shifting uh, from many of the, th I just read today, that America used to be getting almost most of its goods from China. And now over the course of the last year, it's shifted to Mexico. So we, oh, we're wow. seeing these global changes and massive supply chain happen in front of our face, but we just uh, don't realize it m much of the time. Yeah, and you said something really interesting too. And obviously you're in the food world building, but there's different rules within different countries. You would think that we all, see the same as what's good for us is good for us and what isn't shouldn't be in our body. But there are definitely rules where Europe won't eat stuff that in America, it's definitely still legal. And so it's interesting how much of an effect that could have on somebody like you who's building in that food tech space. So it, it, it definitely plays a very important role of, of understanding uh, what the incentives are. Um, there are people that are, are very pro food, but others are trying to also defend uh, some constituencies. As we start to see, there's been pushback of, on some foods uh, with some pending legislation in Florida, Arizona, and other countries are trying to protect their, their potential heritage producers. But we see that they're already starting to suffer uh, a bit from rising food. Uh, feed prices, fertilizer prices, energy prices, and this is just affecting the entire world. And people, people uh, are just trying to defend their own territory. But as we've seen time and time again, the world is changing so fast, and you have to basically always see around the corner and and sort of build there. And and that's sort of what we're what we're focused on. Yeah. And Mike, I guess I'll throw it over to you, similar to how regulations are really affecting what you guys are building at CSAP. Uh, regulations and politics, definitely. I think on, on one hand, I'd say they, they, like, uh, they drive like very, um, 
uh, maybe medium term, like like on the like two year scale or something like that, like where a lot of government dollars, where a lot of like uh, grants and like broad agency announcements and like different bids basically for solutions come out. Um, like there's been a huge push in, in the last year, especially over the last like two years um, with the uh, Ukraine Russia war and with things going on in the Red Sea and kind of around the world um, for more maritime technology, particularly on the defense side of things. Um, a lot of times that type of money does help actually drive a lot of other technology advancement too, because it drives manufacturing, it drives scale, which is very helpful. In terms of our company, I think we we take a slightly longer look at this and say like, you know, whether the current administration is, is pro or for, there's a lot of investment in maritime autonomy or not um, in like maritime tech it's kind of obvious that this is the future. Like that's that's where it's going. And so we actually try to like prioritize diversifying our customer base, base a little bit um, so we're not all like, you know, we could, in some ways we could scale a little bit faster if we we're all eggs in on one basket and went after the largest bid. But we view kind of like healthy technology growth. If you've got, you know, we'd rather have um, like many customers across a lot of different bases, even if it'd be, 10 or 20% more efficient to go all in on one base. Yeah, just because it's, it's kind of like, hey, we have to get there eventually. Like in for all of climate tech, it's a question of like, you know, it's, it's a, a very much a question of when. And I think with climate tech, I mean, biotech obviously has a huge, it's really capital intensive, but I think climate tech, and as you kind of mentioned, Mike, earlier on, that it has these you know, like $1 million to go ahead and have one. So, how were you able to kind of prove out the concepts at the beginning stages to then be able to grow, raise capital, and get to where you are today? Um, one is really it, like it had it was really tricky and it is really tricky. Um, we happen to just go for a very small like our our thing has been like low logistics, low cost, um, like uh, person portable, like like two or three people like carrying it and using pickup trucks as opposed to forklifts and cranes in like 10 person teams. So because of that, when we started as like four founders um, or five founders, we were able to do it. And it was like, it was affordable. It was like, oh, we can put it in a minivan and, and go do it on the side of the contracting business um, that we're all running. So um, it, I'm always a fan. I think that there are some startups, you know, if you look at like some of like really big famous ones, like you look at like SpaceX, Tesla, or like some like major plays, it's like, I'm guessing you're an Elon Musk fan then, name the two. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely am. I mean, I, 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 mean, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I don't know that I want to <laughs> Elon Musk has now like attracted a lot of like, you know, kind of craziness and it's all kind of crazy. I'm a fan of those companies for sure. And I'm very impressed by them. Um, yeah, but some major plays take huge capital investments just to go after them. But anytime, like whenever I'm talking to startup founders and stuff and in startup circles, it's like, Hey, anything you can do to keep it to small enough to prove traction fast enough. Like I'm much more of a fan of kind of like, yeah, like the SaaS startup curve where it's, it's like your costs are low and you can gain a lot of customer feedback quickly is always, uh, always seems safer. Um, yeah. And Alan, I'll throw it over to you too, because similarly you're creating this new type of chocolate. So how was it in the beginning and to now when you're working with one of the top chocolate companies in Japan, I mean, that's yeah. Pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, a lot of work. Um, like many entrepreneurs, I started this company by bootstrapping it personally, just working lots of nights and weekends just to see if the concept is is possible. After we got some early, very, very early uh, successes, 
we were able to attract uh, some, a little bit of venture capital. And from there, we were able to make more progress and hit some significant milestones in, in going through that pathway. But um, as, as we've all seen throughout the, the last couple of years, uh, now that we're living all in a post uh, zero interest rate world, uh, it's it's trying to it's definitely quite challenging compared to uh, some previous uh, times. But we've seen as long as some companies can hit some really uh, significant milestones, such as oh, can you hit some really great prices? Can you get to these flavors? Can you uh, target or create these partnerships? Um, or probably what we think is probably the most important metric for most companies. All right, what type of long-term built-in contract can you actually have today to show that that you have some uh, market validation that you can actually produce at the volumes or hit these milestones demanded, whether it could be uh, things that are getting deployed or targets being hit, as well as uh, also understanding Oh, how many other applications you could have on with your types of technology. Uh, so from, from going from uh, autonomous uh, drones on, in the ocean, uh, sucking up data, there's probably lots of interesting things to, to, uh, uh, to understand. Um, and just even understanding, you know, where, you know, giant industries are headed. Like I just heard, for instance, uh, uh, specifically maybe speaking about the ocean space, that uh, because of a, a, a small uh, temperature change in certain parts of the Arctic, a major food supply chain of, um, of crabs uh, in, in the North Atlantic completely died, and that devastated uh, the local population of, of uh, crabs, and that devastated a whole fishing industry all because of a tiny little change in the temperature of water, which just led to uh, massive collapses in, in, in these ecosystems. So we see these things are, are, are rapidly approaching and that could, uh, that could come up with interesting opportunities, like, which, like what's going to happen in the ocean environment for new foods, what's happening in land for new foods, what's happening for other ways that we could utilize our technology and even solving uh, the problems, how do we make cell culture chocolate at scale? We developed all these uh, other interesting technologies that we have for biomanufacturing, for agriculture use, and even for production of other ingredients. So we see that 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 push to commercialize our technologies could sort of open up brand new technologies that we didn't even think about uh, when we started. Yeah, and it's crazy because you really just an example of how something like CSATs and getting that ocean data could be helpful for something like you. And I know I asked this to Mike earlier on, but Alan, is there a specific either project that you've been following for a while or a specific sector outside of food tech that you're really focused on? Maybe that you're just excited about or that affects you that you're really paying attention to? Yeah, there are definitely a love what uh, what, what SpaceX is doing. I, I believe personally that uh, for the world to keep on growing and to achieve uh, uh, the big dreams of many companies and, and countries or to really build a sci-fi future, we're going to need to have a lot uh, uh, billions of tons of heavy metals, materials. Uh, we're probably going to need to mine it from space. 
we we need to produce foods and materials locally using newer uh, biotech applications, and uh, we need to understand. Uh, and, and all of these are are currently happening. And at the same time, we're getting better understanding of how the ocean uh, currents are basically uh, basically bring massive storms to California and other places in the world. And for us to uh, to actually predict to to predict it with a good sense of accuracy and to prepare, that could save not only thousands of lives but billions of dollars in infrastructure cost and prevention. And as all these technologies are starting to scale, we're going to need them because in the 2030s or in uh, probably even even a little bit now, we're already seeing the effects of of uh, massive storms and massive environmental degradation. And me and many uh, fellow entrepreneurs are trying to figure out how we could predict it, how we could uh, be better prepared for basically a, a, a more difficult wor world in some ways, but also a, a, a world filled with a lot more technological solutions to these problems that we've always faced. Yeah, and I think you said it best where everything is so connected in this. And I think one of my favorite parts about listening to all the panelists today is, hey, we have an AI one. And I could only imagine how AI is affecting your business, Mike, and what you're building. And then it's how climate is affecting space or how space is affecting climate and vice versa. And I think it's all really just connected in our world. But I just want to end it. If you guys have any final words to everybody listening today, um, Mike, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think um, some of the stuff that you just said, Alana, is I fully agree with like all of the connection. And I think some of the like uh, biggest things and the people listening, um, I think people being excited and caring and investing, whether it's on a personal level and buying something at the grocery store that, you know, was like, like produced more sustainably, or if you're an investor going after and taking some risks on some climate tech, um, I think that everyone can make a big difference. And if we are talking about it and generating stoke, that's going to get us all going in the right direction. Yeah. And Alan, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a, a very interesting next couple of years as, as the whole world is going to very rapidly change. So um, everyone should definitely understand what what's happening since uh, everything from food to to weather is going to impact uh, everything we do and 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 think. So it's uh, really important to sort of jump ahead of it rather than than be swept away. That's that's sort of my 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 thinking on this. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining. And I'm just going to end the summit because obviously we are the last panel of today. So I'm going to start by thank you, thanking all the sponsors, Chiron, Fenwick, Hedgie, Flow, and Alto. Thank you to all of the panelists who spent their time, all the founders, all the investors to join us for the Red Beer Ventures first summit of 2024. Uh, and thank you for Denari Labs and the teams and everybody really for just spending their time to come in and share this with us. Uh, we'd love any feedback uh, that you might have. So feel free to share them. And if you have time, feel free to go and view some of the booths that are still open. But we really appreciate all the participants and everybody listening today. And we're excited for the road ahead. 
So thank you so much, guys. Um, we're at Red Beer Ventures. If you have any questions, let us know. A lot of the companies that you also saw over the past two days, we've done syndicates for. We're going to be doing syndicates in the future. So if you're interested in applying to join our syndicate, let us know. We also have a booth with the link to apply. And we really just appreciate everybody spending the last two days with us. So thank you so much and excited for the road ahead. This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.